I'm bringing us in. I'm doing it. All right. Welcome back, Hashing It Out audience. This is another Hashing It Out personals. I know that you're used to personals being personal, like one-on-one, you know, real intimate. But Stephen Mackey is an amazing friend, friend of the show, longtime friend, been in crypto since forever with us on our journey as well. I know I met you back in 2015, so that's eight years now. Holy cow. That's a long time. Uh, Stephen Mackey, uh, I don't know, man. I want you, why don't you introduce yourself? Let the, let oh, the audience easily. know who you are. Easily. Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Stephen Mackey, and I've been in the crypto space now like 10 years. Um, still, still just as beautiful as I was when I was 22. God bless me. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've worn many hats, many roles because I'm just addicted to learning and crypto is like one of the best places for you to constantly be learning about everything. If you want to be a multidisciplinarian, so to speak. And I like to put myself in that bucket personally. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I, uh, I have a hedge fund VC fund. I've made open source, like software contributions. I've helped the Bitcoin ecosystem grow the Ethereum developer ecosystem grow now more recently with like handshake, a uh, big proponent of, you know, decentralized finance, the D web regenerative, like economics and coordination around like sustainability, literally just whatever people are getting hyped about at that time, I try and dive deep down a rabbit hole. And I told myself I would do it insofar as as long as it doesn't exhaust me. And it definitely doesn't anymore. Um, every every day is a new chance and an opportunity to like learn and grow. And I've like kind of I've really fallen in love with um, the crypto industry. And it's all I know now. Um, so I can't go anywhere. This is my job. It's my livelihood. And um, beyond, you know, all that, my main day-to-day job is to run my fund, Momentum Capital. And we're doing that very successfully uh, as an OG crypto fund. I would say one of the better of the crypto funds, just is not just from returns and capability, but we're just good people. And we've kept our heads low and tried not to fall into the being the main character or the villain each cycle, um, hoping to make it another one, <laughs> doing the same thing, uh, and yeah, so that that's like that's been like my, my core focus. And on top of that, I also have a podcast myself, block channel that I've done with D and uh, Corey for since I think like 2016. Uh, it's kind of taken a little bit of a break in 2022 as I've been working on my soul, so to speak. Um, but I, I've come out the butt end of that now, so now I'm just like now I'm back in the saddle trying to get myself back out there to see what I've been missing. So in your opinion, what's the point? Like, why crypto? Uh, Why make a fund that focuses on the various aspects of crypto? And what's like, what's like, if you were to tell a GPP, Mm -hmm. general purpose person though, like, and and profitize it to them, if we still do that anymore, why? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, as you gentlemen know, you know, crypto kind of has permeated into multiple different different sectors, right? You know, we we started with just like peer to peer money with Bitcoin, and then we moved to like programmatic smart contracts and to finance and to regeneration, and now there's a focus on sustainability, and you know, there's this this confluence of 
like green, solar, um, you know, uh, different types of, uh, you know, clean energy solutions to, you know, power like proof of work mining. There's a lot of research around, you know, how to, how to best, um, you know, manage and secure these assets, um, you know, with things like proof of stake as well. It's just a constant evolution and a constant need to apply decentralized governance as well as coordination and incentives in places that it didn't exist prior to make humans like more efficient. And kind of like that's what draws me into it every day is that, you know, even right now as we have this uh, emergence of people using like AI with things like chat GPT, um, especially being here in San Francisco, being in the heart of that sort of excitement, it's, it's, it's a constant resurgence of here's the new hot thing. And then we realize a new hot thing could be used by crypto. And so it, it, it really excites me to stay inside this industry because, you know, it allows me to be at the forefront of every new bleeding edge technology and still be paid to research it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a sustainable way for me to kind of be this forever academic that just never wants to grow up and only wants to learn forever. And I, I definitely think that, like, my youth and my uh, excitement for life comes from the con- the constant learning. So it's just it's the best space to be in where you're where you're always going to be parallel to whatever is like happening now. I definitely have a at least a similar feeling of like this was a sustainable way for me to just keep learning about stuff from a from the aspect of like I'm going to get paid well to learn about interesting things and new technologies that keep popping up that may change the world or not. But like I'm staying in academia was not going to get me that for sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, I want to oh, get personal. Uh, so, so you mentioned, um, you, your fund is, is, uh, aiming to not be, you know, the villain and not necessarily be the main character of each investment cycle. So can you, can you kind of yes. expand upon that? What you mean by that? Yeah, so I've been in here in crypto 10 years, and here's, here's, here's something I learned. You you want to be well-liked, but you also want to be well-disliked. And because otherwise, if you don't find yourself in the middle, you either find yourself as this joyful, loving kind of main character that can eventually fall from grace. And if you lean too far into the darkness, into like your own greed, then eventually you get kind of like snuffed out as like one of these other like bad actors, like a like an FTX or or Mt. Gox or insert XYZ here of like different, you know, fantastic failures in the past. So you just want to be there kind of like on the balancing act, on like riding, walking around the tightrope of you have your earning legitimacy, you're contributing to the space, you're sharing your opinions, but those opinions and those belief systems and what you're building might not always be loved by everyone equally. And that's the best space to be in and the sort of like intersection between order and chaos, right? The sort of like chaotic element. And myself as, a, as an individual, I've always put myself as an equibalance of the two. Like if you go into a room of crypto people, because I've been around for a while and you say, who's Stephen Mackey? They're like, oh, I love Stephen Mackey. He was part of this, that, or the other. That's awesome. But if you go to the other side of the room, you might talk to someone like, oh, Stephen Mackey, man, that guy's an asshole. Uh, and that's okay. That's that's the space that I want to be in. I want to be I want to be well liked, but also well hated. Because if you're not both, then you're not actually innovating, and you're not actually doing anything useful. That's like challenging the status quo, in my personal opinion. And again, it goes back to if you're too good, then eventually people will like kind of like look up at you, and they're like, oh, you're you're the person that we're all going to look towards. And that, that's way too much pressure for me, especially that someone that's like always so extroverted and is always like speaking their mind. 
so in order for me to like, you know, maintain my own personal professional safety and continue to get great deal flow and to get opportunities to like, you know, like earn money uh, myself personally and through the fund, I found that's the best place to be. Because if you're not always seemingly perfect, people know that you're real, right? And, you know, I've, I've approached this industry on always being real. And I, th I think Corey and Dimitri can, you know, kind of attest to that. Like, you know, one of my very first interviews that I did in podcasting in crypto was with the Bitcoin podcast. And I'm pretty sure at the time it was a very like. Uh, as real as you get. It's as real as you get. It was, it was hard opening. I was like, yeah, you know, come from a tough background, a tough place. I'm just I'm just trying to do my best and get raised by loving adults online. And I would say like that's that's the man I am today. Because I would say I operated with some of the most influential and some of the most intelligent and kind people that I could find on the internet that like resonated with me energetically. So Corey and Dimitri were some of those two. They were like my pseudo internet podcast dads that sort of like helped show me <laughs> help show me the ropes and uh, you know give me like the motivation to be like, hey, yeah, you're good at this. Yeah, keep on doing it. And you know, as this like extroverted person who's like secretly low-key and very introverted nerd it was the best intersection for me to like find the joy that i need in life while at the same time like being able to gain at least enough notoriety in my professional world where i feel like i could make a career out of crypto because before it was cool to be in crypto it wasn't and then it was cool again and then it wasn't and then now i think it's i think it's kind of cool again and then people like it but they're also complaining because they just lost money so I just kind of like wait around until the next cycle where I'm loving you. <laughs> it's a, uh, I don't know if it's ever cool. So the GPP, <laughs> tell you the truth. I just don't think that they care that much. But anyways, I'm here to get personal. This is called hashing out personals for, for personally, uh, personal me down for a reason. What's your favorite breakfast and what's your favorite <laughs> breakfast that you make for yourself? Mm, my favorite Harder. breakfast. Mm, I usually right. start, I usually start the day with a nice, uh, Vegan plant-based like protein shake that has like all of my amino acids and everything. I'm absolutely very San Francisco, and then of course uh, I, uh, that I use that to chase down my array and my uh, of uh, different supplements uh, that I take, uh, whether it's like NAD plus or um, uh, terkesterone or whether that's uh, uh, different types of uh, like multivitamins to like help like kind of just keep like just my overall like energy levels like high like. I've dated many biologists over the past like 10 years as well. And like, I kind of use my spare time to balance my own biochemistry and to, and to, I don't want an attempt to stay young forever because that's God's job. But I do like to be the scientist to help at least like understand how I can best take care of myself. Like I earn wealth in crypto and I'm a very minimal person. Um, yeah, I mean, my very empty room that I'm in right now is probably a good attestation of that. And I've never lost that, that that minimalism, that frugalness. And that's very important to me. So the, the things that are real wealth for me are friends, connections, and like in my health. So that always comes first. So definitely not like a spinach omelet, man. No, I actually like because like I grew up, as you guys <laughs> are aware of, that the audience doesn't know, grew up poor as hell. <laughs> um, I, got I figured you'd be balling, bro. I figured you'd be like, no, I grew up. No, I'm saying I grew up poor as hell, so like I got used to like not eating breakfast. So, so when I do eat breakfast, it's usually liquid based. I usually don't eat hard food until I like, pass like 12 noon when I can stomach it. Uh, so uh, yeah, my life is 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 very structured and very minimalistic, uh, even as far as my like food. 
I skip mm. breakfast too. You're kind of like Corey. Corey doesn't eat breakfast either. Corey likes to just look at food in the morning. Not even see that. I have a cup of coffee <laughs> that washes down my my multivitamin supplements, and then I maybe <laughs> eat lunch, and then I have a healthy. You take it? Are you taking Metamucil yet? Have you gotten to that? No, I'm not that old. <laughs> He's like, I take my Metamucil uh, in the morning. <laughs> I'm not that old. My little glass. You got to drink all of it too, audience, because you don't want to leave that little goo in the bottom of the cup. It's hard to drink. <laughs> D told me the grossest out. thing the other day. I was visiting D last weekend. Hold I don't on, want to keep this. My, in, I don't want to put your business on blast. Talk about business in the street. How yeah. gross is it? You talking about the bidet? Power no, I'm talking about your, <laughs> your, about your morning routine. Oh, my poops? Oh, sorry. We can go into that later, audience. That'll be on hashing it out. Personals D part two. <laughs> but um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we should leave that open ended now. Honestly, I'll let y'all just my poops. I'll let y'all Anyways. play into that. I'm curious about how you walk that line <laughs> between being well liked and well hated, and how you how you how you don't stray too far in one any given direction, and like what indicators of compromise you may see. Absolutely. So, what I realized, well, what I've I've learned about myself over the past few years is like my intuition is really good. And if you follow me in crypto for any amount of time, you'll realize that my intuition is pretty damn good. So when it comes to interacting with so many different peoples and energies, because I come from such an interesting background, I feel like I always, I hear the words that people write online and hear the words that people say out loud. And like, I kind of see the real truth behind them, kind of get kind of get blessed with that sort of like intuitive insight. Um, and, I, and I use that to my advantage. Um, and so effectively, it's like, if I feel like, you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I have no problem calling it out for being a duck. And in an industry that prides itself on so much hardcore intellectualism, there's a many people here who've always been on this sort of egoistic pedestal that might not be used to someone saying, nah, that, that, that's just a terrible idea. Like, nah, that's just bad. It'll fail. And I think that that is what has driven me to like my level of like success and like notoriety and what I have obtained as far as like legitimacy goes professionally and why I get like, you know, invited to invest in the companies and to end up on cap tables and stuff like that is because I'm going to tell you what's real. I'm going to tell you how I feel, but I'm going to do it with a level of self-awareness where it's just like, I'm not telling you this because I don't believe it. I mean, I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to like bring you down a peg. Excuse me. I'm telling you this because like I genuinely care about the industry that I work in and I want to try and protect everyday people. And when there's been instances where, you know, I've been very right, um, you know, ahead of time, you know, the protecting investors, um, both retail and on, on the large side, accredited, qualified, you know, the, the, the bigger boys, um, that's really, really appreciated. Uh, and I think that, yeah, it's like I've never been I've never had a problem with being on the, the receiving end of someone saying, ah, well, you know what? Screw you, Stephen. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go win. And I'm just like, you know, bless your heart. Like, good luck. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I hope that works. I hope that works out well for you. And so, yeah, it's just like really unapologetic honesty delivered with a very like intelligible level of tact, which I think is like incredibly like important. So, and, you know, and if I'm, and if I'm sharing my opinion on a project, like I've, I've talked to many different people that might be adjacent to it. Um, many people that may be like directly involved into it. And I kind of formulate my own opinions and pattern match in a world where myself, 
no one ever had a way to sort of pattern match someone like me and my own personality and like my background. So, you know, I take it as an opportunity to look at every person with a fresh set of eyes and not take verbatim what they have painted themselves in their career as. Like, okay, this is who you claim to be online. And I'm going to try and discover who you actually are. And I want to bring that to light early in case it might be of detriment to the greater community. Are there any projects that your intuition has kind of uh, sensed that this project may not be a good project in terms of its contribution to the community overall? Yeah, I mean, mini layer one projects um, called out like FTX and um, uh, Sam Bankman fried like very early as like, you know, kind of a very sketchy like operation to avoid after doing my own due diligence myself as someone that has a hedge VC crypto, you know, crypto fund, I guess we'll just call it that here in the space. Like, you know, I've, I've, I had to look into myself of, ah, should I use FTX? Ah, should I invest in this project? So because I'm actually looking at these things, not just investing uh, in risk with my own money, it's also other people's money. Um, so I feel like I, 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 of course, just by design, I have this fiduciary duty to to share you know my the types of insights that I'm deriving. So if I'm telling you this online, I'm also telling this to a limited partner or another investor like in private, right? And the, the faster that this types of maybe um, uncertainty can disseminate, you know, the faster we can kind of clear through the bullshit. And each cycle where we have these massive sort of like increases in like kind of you know net market cap of the space and everyone's making money left and right. There's always going to be there's always going to be a down period. Nothing goes up forever. And as long as I've been in crypto, I've learned that. And though our greed every cycle wants to convince us that it will go up forever, it's never the case. So if we can eliminate as many potential bad actors on that ride up the roller coaster, you know what I mean? There's going to be less folks with their you know their hands up complaining when we come like come back down. And um, yeah, and, and and again, it's just all about finding an equal balance between intellectual honesty. And the fact that you want to make money, because I feel like some people, especially like maybe larger voice retail type investors or just like general crypto investors that maybe don't have funds, maybe don't have startups. And they're just very loud voices on say, Twitter or whatever social media site where, you know, we're on at the time. A lot of people don't have an obligation to actually tell you the truth. Uh, and especially when all this information is transparent and open. You know, so many people might get a certain insight and, and say, well, I, I derived this from this data set and it's transparent and everyone else can see it. So I don't have any obligation to really tell people the truth because if they can't see it, then they're just not as adept as I am. And, you know, that's a very commonplace personality that you'll find, too, where people are just like, you know, holding information like personally to themselves and hold it close to their chest. So within legal bounds, I like to do my best intelligently to, to, to tell people what's up before it actually goes down. So whether that's, you know, uncertainty of like a certain project's technical viability, um, you know, I've interviewed so many different people. I have a technical background myself. Um, you know, I've spoken to like probably thousand plus different entrepreneurs and, you know, and builders in the, in the crypto space and over the like past like six or seven years since like I started my podcast and stuff. And before then, just interpersonally that, you know, I kind of have a good read on the different personalities in the space. So when I see certain types of people interacting with other certain types of people, my intuition sort of just like rings off. It's kind of like a spidey sense where it's like, mm, something, something's not right here. Yeah, the, the, Mackie, the Mackie spidey sense goes off and I'm just like, mm, let me talk about it. And, and I'm not a shy person. 
and I mean, maybe I maybe a little bit maybe a little bit less ego applied to this now these days. But I wouldn't have any problem in the past being like, "Well, I told you so." Um, but now that the the space is much more mature and there's a lot very a lot more very intelligent people around to give their perspectives, I feel a little bit less obligated to kind of play that kind of good cop bad cop sort of deal. I lean towards just being good cop these days. Um, but you know, hey, you know, we all uh, we all we all live and learn like slowly. And if I can share some insights that allow other people to pattern match, and I think overall, just the industry can be make more resilient. Yeah, it's something that I've been trying to figure out, or like understand, uh, and the process of trying to explain FTX to people is that a lot of the, like, they, like you'll, you'll see from mainstream media that the, I hate using that term, whatever, uh, that it's a downfall of crypto, right? It's, it's proof that crypto is a fraud or blockchain mm -hmm. is a fraud or a scam or it's not actually useful. And when in, I believe in reality, it's the hallmarks of whatever you want to call it, centralized web, crypto, blockchain, whatever, is the reason why we were able to root out such a bad actor in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how to explain that to people properly. Or like, a, like one, would you agree with that? Two, yeah. how do you help bring that narrative to light to a broader audience yeah you know i've had quite a few conversations with um people thankfully not anyone that's invested into my fund because you know they know what's up in the industry um but uh and just just in general relation to like people understanding that what ftx did was is, wasn't exclusive to crypto it was just straight up normal fraud it was just yeah. business fraud you know what i mean it's just, it could have happened in any industry it's it's unfortunate that they've paint they painted themselves as this very large important crypto stock exchange right given like all their like media promotions and stuff like that people were just like oh this is like the equivalent of a coinbase uh it's got all, it's got all this legitimacy and it's not like, even to this day you know coinbase is a coinbase is a bank it is regulated it is legitimate it is in the us just like my fund it is audited every year just like my fund they pay their taxes every year just like my fund you know what I mean? Like there is a certain level of um, assurance there when you have these regulated firms that effectively are like banks. And so though we've griped on them many times over the years, they were really necessary evil to the, the, the growth and proliferation of the crypto story. And then you had like um, new folks coming to the door uh, like SBF uh, and FTX, which I hate saying that all these acronyms. But scam, scam Bankman Fried and his his, his shitty fly by night exchange uh, in the Bahamas. It's just like if you were anyone of of decent investor worth and you weren't just a normal retail person, you wouldn't have put your money on FTX unless you were a hedge fund that had no choice because you do have a very large LP pool, which is looking at you to have the same level of returns because you're getting all these institutional investors. So they're like, well, the fund XYZ. Is swing trading, doing heads trading on FTX. Well, why aren't you? Well, thankfully for myself, since my fund is like mostly like self-funded now, and then eh, it's basically a private family office. Thank you, God. Um, like I had the flexibility to handle these things, like and, and to approach them without the the LP bias, where I'm like, I've got to be making my people money. Uh, like after five or six years, I've been long enough in the space where I'm just like, no, the goal in crypto is to just stand in the longest without losing money. Because if you stick around in the right place with your money in the right spots, it's really hard not to make money. And, you know, when, when you're a hedge fund, like, you, of course, you're always trying to do things like, you know, leverage and da 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 But what I have found time and time again in crypto 
is that those big players always end up like getting burned because they start taking on too much risk. So for me, it's just like those crypto native applications, so to speak, are the best ones to like invest in going forward. And there are, of course, money making opportunities with these different sort of like hybrid platforms, things like these, like sort of like crypto like stock exchanges. But I just don't really ultimately think that they're worth the risk. It, it, it's, it feels less like hedge investing or investing in general and, and a lot more like gambling. And, you know, I got into crypto to invest money and to create wealth, but also at the same time, you know, create like uh, opportunities for other people to do the same and to take that away from people just sort of like feels yeah, yeah kind of dirty. Um, so, you know, ultimately, I just uh, I, I try and I try and make sure that I try not to be too greedy because it's easy to do that in crypto. And anytime everyone and their mom goes to an exchange, that's usually a bad sign. Like Coinbase is successful because people openly hate it. If everyone really loved it, like out loud, even the retail, even the people like don't have any like, you know, fiduciary skin in the game for any investors. They're just a loud cartoon character on Twitter. That's no good. That That's going to tell me that that's a house that's potentially like a house of cards that I want to I'd want to keep my money off of. So I like to keep my money in the uh, old school majors, so to speak, as far as exchanges. So like Kraken and Coinbase and those types of guys, because like they've they've been around the block. They, they know the crypto native importance of real decentralization, self-custody, da, 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 da. And they lean into that. So when folks like SPF came into the space, uh, you know, was launching tokens here, there, left and right. You know, people were doing leverage trading on his exchanges, you know, effectively like with these like IOUs. And it was just it was like red flag, red flag, red flag. So much to the point, actually. And I wish I still had the message to prove it. Uh, but I sent a message to Sam very early. It must have been like mid 2020 when I saw that he was launching all these like tokens like serum and stuff. And I was actually talking to a good friend of mine, Jer Ogo, Jer o Jer Joe Ergo, excuse me from District Zero X, a very old school like ICO project from like back in the day. And I was telling him about it and he was just like, man, he's like, man, that thing is like such a scam. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, he's leverage trading, but he's just like printing tokens out of thin air to leverage trade. And I was like, yeah, maybe people aren't going to see that. So I could privately DM SBF on Twitter one day. And I was like, hey, man, just want you to know that like I'm watching. Like not in like a threatening way, but I do this often. I do this often. I do this. I I, I come down like 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 some Don Corleone. Like just let you know, like you're being like 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 I'm observing you, right? Like I'm autistic. I've got nothing better to do than to hypersess over you. Maybe losing somebody money or me money. And his response back to me was, quote verbatim, "You're going to regret that. You don't know who I am." And <laughs> and my response back was that I was like, "All right, buddy, sounds good to me." Five minutes later, I got the old box key. From him on Twitter. And then I was just like, well, this is the beginning of your downfall. We'll see where this goes. And so there's one thing that I've learned is like if someone tries to be critical of what you're doing as a founder in the space and like you're not willing to take advice uh, or opinions from other like, you know, perceived like uh, more senior people in the industry, that's a huge red flag for me. It's like if you can't take hard criticism, then you're probably going to fail like as a leader in this industry that is incredibly unforgiving. Um, like you mess up once in a big way, like it's really hard for you to get your trust back, right? Whether you're Three Arrows Capital, Mount Gox, um, now with like FTX, uh, DCG and Barry Silbert are going through that right now. Uh, you know, there's probably going to be a couple of more people that saw themselves as bulletproof and reality in the industry just like continues to humble them. Mm, man, I have so many questions. I'm going to let D 
shoot one at A though. Yeah, write them down so you don't forget them. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, my so you said due diligence. It's a mm-hmm. phrase. It's a phrase. It's thrown around quite a lot in crypto. Um, back when you know when we started in crypto, due diligence was relatively easy, right? It mm-hmm. was like Bitcoin and like two other tokens mm-hmm. that meant anything at all. Bitcoin, what Litecoin, uh, Ethereum was a little later than those two. Uh, but it was easy to do due diligence, right? It was easy to stay locked in. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about tens of thousands of tokens, uh, and, you know, hundreds popping up every day. And so how do you do your due diligence? Like, is there a formula that you approach things with? Is there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I kind of I'll give you a little bit of insight from my maybe my OG pitch deck from way back in the day. And it, yeah. com- it, it, com- it comes down to this. There's um, there's only a few ways really to do effective uh, crypto due diligence because it is an industry in a space that moves constantly so much so quickly and so of course you can do the whole rick and roll of let me let me check out the github who's making commits here is the community excited about it what are the what are their past contributions like what industry do they come from uh, how confidently did they speak about like their project these are just kind of the normal sentiment analysis of kind of understanding like kind of if a project stands a chance but real due diligence in crypto is done in real time all day, every day, watching things as the industry changes and watching the perspectives and the interactions and the comments that certain entrepreneurs make in the space. And what you'll find is, you know, if you find if you follow a certain entrepreneur for a while, let's call out somebody that's on my uh, potential gray area list where it probably is going to go shit soon. Uh, Masari, Masari and Ryan really? Selkis. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my I'll tell you my intuitive due diligence there, and while I know that I know that he's probably next on the hit list, give us the juice. I'll give you the juice. So uh, the juice the juice on Selkis and Masari is you know he was very very early with working with DCG right and Barry Silbert. Like energies attract like energies. I, I firmly believe that right. And then he left from working with those guys at DCG, and then as a very mm, prolific writer, so to speak, um, if you want to call it that. Uh, you know, he he made his contributions and, and was at CoinDesk and helped them build up their events and all that. And then he went and pivoted into like his own entrepreneur venture once he built a large enough network, piggybacking off of um, Barry Silver and CoinDesk. So he's a you know he's an opportunist and raised money for Masari at the time for what he claimed was an absolute need. We need a platform where we can get the data and get transparency on all these projects going on in the industry. But if you remember from my point earlier, real due diligence is every day. I'm not I'm not I'm not concerned with the the token lockup period and releases and all these different products. Like that's what he wanted transparency on. He couldn't operate in the industry in such a way where he could do that real time like due diligence. So he sought to centralize that data into a platform and then wanting to like extract rent off of like disseminating that that data. Okay, that's all well and good and I'm sure during the cycle, like that probably serves a good purpose for educating some people on projects to invest in or certain ones to avoid. Uh, but ultimately, like at the end of the day, like, you know, that's that's not enough. And so like and, and when someone gets very vocal about other people who are being um, what's the best way to phrase this uh, sketchy uh, in the industry, like. Sometimes we speak our karma out loud as a mirror when we lack certain levels of like self-awareness and as someone that operates in the, fun, uh, you know, kind of in a, in a, in, in the in-between space is like, you know, kind of like a you know, developer investor, you know, trader type of person. 
I'm constantly seeing all these different personalities and like how to interact with each other. And I see that, you know, people aren't are being disingenuous with what they're actually like trying to accomplish. So if you go out of your way as an entrepreneur to really shit on other projects, and I mean really shit on it, like, like a day in and like day out, and, and like basically saying, oh, I'm better than you at this, that, or the other, then ultimately that's a good sign that you're like working through something through your own subconscious. So I also lean deeply into like behavioral psychology and like pattern matching to being like, okay, is this person really upset about this other thing going on in the industry? Or are they projecting? And if you if you really start paying attention to that point, you realize that a lot of people that have failed in crypto do a lot of projection, right? Like I am like you know I all the projects that I invest in and work in, like I put my heart and my soul, my soul into them, and you know and like and I, and I do it with 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 goodness and honesty and my and my best intentions in my heart, and and because like you know I don't have a centralized like entrepreneurial venture or something that's like masari you know i have this open-ended thing that's a fund and it's private and it's only for qualified investors and like you know i don't have any retail exposure um you know i i, I of course like have a a more better understanding of what like what in- investors are expecting versus like what the retail expects as far as like legitimacy like in crypto and uh yeah so it's just like keeping my eye on the people that like uh, overindulge themselves as being better than or holier than thou um and those people like often end up being some of the um most egregious offenders in the industry and um yeah so it's 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 more so just like pattern matching people but also knowing the history of all these people like i'm a high functioning autistic person my memory is amazing if you did something bad six years ago and you said some bullshit in a response on a tweet and i saw it one afternoon i'm never gonna forget it so it's just like, so everything that I see and hear, I'm constantly aggregating in my mind to understand, to find out what the real story is. And as someone who's been a writer in this space too, as like a pseudo journalist through like my podcast through my newsletter um, at that we had, you know, through block channel. And then, and then of course now my funds newsletter, constantly keeping people informed on what my perspective and opinions are like, are like really important, but doing it in a kind, gentle semi-academic way is the way where I approach it in a, in a, in a point of non-bias. And I always go into everything hoping to be wrong, but that's usually never the case. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's more so just like years and years of like pattern matching and understanding that people are not always what it makes it appear on the surface. It's interesting that, um, it's just interesting as a whole in crypto, that due diligence used to be like, we used to focus on tech. We used to focus really hard on how it's built. And now it seems like slowly the inevitable is we're focusing hard on who is building it. And that's interesting. Yeah, we used to go from the top, we used to go from the top down, right? From like quality to, you know, like shit. And now we go from like the bottom up because everyone has all this money. So you've got to really got to wade through the marketing dollars and ad spend before you can actually get to the truth. It's really hard. I, I just avoid all marketing at, at this point. It's <laughs> There's no point in even reading any marketing pitch or deck. And for most conversations, that usually means the conversation starts about 10 minutes into it. Mm. You have to get past that initial like introductory marketing material. And, and this is a, I don't know, maybe this is just my difficulty with society in general is there's no real good place to find information other than like where the source of the development is. And having some level of intuition on how it's supposed to work. 
Otherwise, like if you try to go to what people want you to read, it's not going to come out very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no question there. Yeah. Jesse, you had some. Yeah. You so my, my question that I wrote down before was um, in terms of, um, I guess, some hedge funds that are quite large, like I have written down here, Sequoia Capital had an exposure of 225 million into FTX, Ooh. right? So that's, that's pretty big. <laughs> You know, you also had uh, Tiger Global, I guess, or Tiger Management Group, maybe a subsidiary, like one of the Tiger, Tiger Cubs. You also had SoftBank. You had, you had these, you know, quite prolific uh, investment funds who had exposure to FTX. Why couldn't they see what you saw? Because they had to play the Me Too game. The Me Too money game is a very hard one to get away of once you've, like, dipped your toes in that water. And what I mean by, like, the Me Too money game is if you are a huge fund, Say you're like a, a paradigm or um, DCG, for instance, right? You have such a astute level of professional developers, excuse me, professional investors that are investing into like your funds that you you have this certain level of expectation where you should always be at the bleeding edge of everything that's going on. And if the right company, the right opportunity comes on like FTX, where they branded themselves as this more legitimate, you know, company more than they actually were then you're going to have LPs, your investor base coming to you like, hey, are you, uh, are you on that exchange? Are you doing that? Or like, how are you making money? And you've got to tell these people through your like your LP updates, your, like, you know, your internal investor letters that, yeah, no, we're taking a look at it. Yeah, no, we've got an allocation in it, right? That's like X percentage of our AUM. Like, and as crypto has gotten more mature, so to speak, um, we've gotten more more and more different types of these like professional level investors that are just like upping the check size, upping the ante. But in actuality, it's the same level of experimentation and potential like, you know, bullshit and fraud that's existed for like the past 10 years. But you've got these junior analysts that come on board and like their job is to like be on Twitter all day, join every Telegram group, be a part of every Discord. Like, and they, they leave that sort of general due diligence to like the younger folks maybe who are a little bit like less experiences experienced to like build rapport with these different projects and stuff. So they pull away this whole different perspective that is just uh, probably not very conducive to like how these, how these funds should be putting in money. Like when we raised money back in like 2018, right. The original goal for like raising was like $10 million. I got bored um, after about a month of fundraising and we raised like close to $3 million. And I was like, that's $3 million more than I had before. Let's get to work. Um, and you know, and we've grown our funds substantially since then. But when you start with a large LP base, right. Think of it like cooks in the kitchen. There's so many different opinions. And you know that when you take their money, uh, that they're going to have a certain level of expectation of communication and a level of like insight into the space. A lot of these investors will put a small chunk of their money too, right? Like, you know, uh, like 200 million sounds like a lot, but depending on if you're a bank or you're a larger, like, you know, hedge fund or, you know, a VC fund, it's a drop in the bucket. Or, yeah, how much money you really like have. Hundreds of billions. So, yeah, they're yeah, exactly. So it's like, Exactly. So it's just like so 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 they don't have the same level of risk profile as like I do. Like my rep my social capital, my reputation was the thing that was allowing me to get access into these different deals when the only thing I had to offer was my intellect. Um or just like my general experience and perspective. And but these companies are like, we're XYZ. We've existed for 50, 60 years. We know we we, we can we we know what to do with our money. And that's all well and good if you're in the traditional banking sector that's like rife with so much like uh, like regulation 
and you know like actual professionalism and expectation but you know this industry is filled with like i, I call them misfit geniuses and so if you so if you're a misfit you know you're not always in like myself included you're not you're not always you're not always a perfect person and but these people are investing into that like they're investing into someone that went to wharton or went to Brown, or went to Harvard Business School, and they're thinking and investing with that type of mindset. And it's just like, no. And that's what happens as you slowly pull the kind of the crypto sphere uh, into its own world. Like, we're, like, it's not the banking sector. It's not that at all. And so you can't approach it with that same, with that same level of um, enthusiasm. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of these companies and, and, and funds just ultimately get burned because they, you know, like are to want to put too much risk on an industry that they don't wholly understand just so they can say, I got that thousand X return. I, I missed out on that 10,000 percent return from Ethereum for buying a dollar. But this is going to be the one where I can prove that I'm just as good as the crypto guys. And then it all goes back to ego. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I try to yeah. approach it with as little ego as possible. Yeah, Try the, is the key word. Ability, ability to assess risk in this industry is not nearly as easy as it is in traditional banking, and it's but it's it's easy to put on a front as if you are doing those things. Uh, yes, and that's where I think what you were saying earlier, like that's where people get burned because they're they're playing mm -hmm. that. Me I think the Me Too game that you mentioned is a is a real strong reasoning behind why something like FTX got so big in the first place and why it wasn't called out as hard as it should have been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Peripheral route of persuasion. They got Tom Brady. They got that. You know, <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. If you're like Tom Brady uses it, it must be safe. <laughs> There's some New England banker guy somewhere. He's like, why aren't you investing in that Tom Brady exchange? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess another question I, I had is, how do you keep up? Like for me personally, like my background is not as a computer science uh, major. My background is more hardware, electrical engineering. So. As somebody who's trying to keep up with like some of the zero knowledge stuff that's going on, I'm having to like learn a lot of like concepts that like, for instance, uh, when you're talking about like the the embedded systems architecture that they're emulating with like some of the ZKVM stuff, like, you know, the risk zero stuff um, like it, it should be, you know, I guess for me, it's it's a struggle. But for you, how do you assess like something if you were given the opportunity to invest in something like that? How do you assess whether they're actually making you know, valid contributions. Yeah, like let me first foremost just be absolutely humble and say that that zero knowledge shit is fucking hard. Like I was good, I was I was good at math, but I wasn't that that good at math. All right, like you know what I mean. Like I got, I have to have a certain level of like you know, like I got, I have to be humble and admit that like I don't know everything. But what I don't know, I usually have a friend that might. Right. And so that's the importance of like, you know, building a good, decent network and not pretending like, you know, everything, because then you can actually go to the people that do know these things as experts and ask them questions. But a secret to crypto investing is if you go too granular too soon, you already messed up. So if you're trying to look at things from an implementation standpoint before you're looking at the team and the potentiality, like Ethereum is a great example. Again, you know, Petty and I'm sure, you know, Corey you know, can agree here. Like, you know, at first we were all, you know, we, we, we were interested in Ethereum, but there was so much skepticism from the Bitcoin side. Oh, it won't scale this out of the other. They're never going to get proof of stake right. This, you know, there was so much like, you know, like um, resistance to like, you know, that as a technology. But if you would have invested with that sentiment back then, you would have missed out on a 10,000 percent, 20,000 percent like return, you know, and, and you know, 
all the great stuff that you know Ethereum has like you know brought to the table over the years. And so it's 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 definitely a matter of like the team, you know, like their own background. But given myself, like I studied CS, I studied information systems, I have a networking background. That's what I did in like uh, like high school and stuff, and like those kind of uh, high school enrichment programs that did computing computer networking. And as over time, even though I'm 32 years old. Um, my skill sets have to constantly evolve, but there's, but I literally read a paper that was like 60 pages long where it was like explaining like the zero knowledge proof systems in like Zcash one day. And I must've got about like 20 pages into it of like looking at all these equations and shit. And I was like, fuck this. And, uh, and I was like, and I was like, and I was like, I was like, at that point, at that point, you're not, you're not, you're not actually making a good investment decision because you're not actually looking at it. You're like, oh, I can prove that this math is correct. It all seems functionally important. And it's like, no. Like you really have to lean on a community of people to like uh, get through the weeds. And if you're just an individual, small person, like analyst thinking that you have to learn everything, like, oh, let me learn about every different type of like uh, NFT, you know, uh, ERC 721, like implementation they have on uh, out there. Let me learn about like every zero knowledge proof. Let me learn about every like, um, like uh, uh, optimistic, like, you know, bridging system. Let me learn about every, it's like da, 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 da. It's just like, no. Follow the sentiment, follow the joy, follow what people are like actually nerding out about, I mean, not, uh, nerding out about, uh, and then actually like, you know, like dig into why is this exciting? Why is this interesting? What are the real use cases from this? What is the, what is the interoperability potential of this particular technology? If you go too granular too soon, you're going to end up with empty hands, like so to speak. So you, you've got to put a certain level of trust in the people in the communities that are evolving around these um, assets. And like that's that's one of the most important parts. Like I, I use my gut, which is pretty good. But at the same time, like I use my intellectual humbleness to realize that I and accept what I don't know. And what I don't know, I'm not afraid to speak out out loud on Twitter or to like ask questions and to, you know, get insights from other people. So if you're a traditional retail investor, right, you're just a person with a couple thousand dollars to invest. And you're like, ah, which of one of these zero knowledge coins do I invest in? Like you already lost. Um, And so you need to be in the industry playing the game in real time with everybody else, which is very time intensive. Uh, to actually like get get a foothold into what is actually going to raise you up and like you know create wealth for you. I feel like you're the the pawn star of crypto. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta run, guys. I gotta like, on an hour. All right, so you look at you, 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 you look at somebody's project. You like look it up and down. You're like, mm, this looks dope, but. I know a guy. I'm gonna call a guy real quick. <laughs> exactly. He's like, let me, let me, let me call my friend and get his opinion on it. And I, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to like hit up my buddy like Lalua, which I know you know, uh, Dimitri, one of the you know the fastest talker in the West. Um, oh, but you know, <laughs> but you know, I have no issues being like, hey man, like, hey, let's let's link up, let's get some coffee. It's been a while, and, and let's catch. But also, like, mm, give me the dirt on this. Tell me your nerdiest perspective on why you think this is shit. And then so I'll get some opinions from that. I'm like, mm, okay. And I'll kind of match that with my own opinion. And then, you know, for instance, like Lalua was like, Ethereum is shit. It's never going to be anything. But I still invested into Ethereum. I was like, so I took his expert opinion and I still threw it out. Right. And so it's like, it's, it's like, you're, you're still trading, you're still trading and investing with conviction and you got it. Yeah. You have to accept that conviction. Um, and, and that, you know, like these perspectives on these different technologies, like evolve and patience is everything. And if you don't have enough patience, you're going to have to have a lot more money to potentially lose. So I came in here with a little bit, 
to be incredibly conservative so I could get to a point where I didn't know, owe anybody anything. Like if I just raise a hundred million dollars and I 10, 10 X that, and I now got a billion dollars and I got to read all that in the management fees and carry that's all well and good. But how much more impressive is it? The person that raised $2 million turned that into 50 to a hundred million dollars and has never had a project fail. And every single one has always been acquired. That is, that's the real good investor. That's the person that you want to follow. And unfortunately, I've been the victim of things like A16Z, Sequoia, other people that read our newsletter, you know, kind of see how we're thinking and literally mimic us, right? And they're like, oh, this year, like A16Z, they just recently put out a, a post or, you know, they're like, we're going to talk about sustainability and, and, and green energy and the intersection of that and crypto. And they're like, we've been talking about that for like a year and a half. We've already made investments in that sector. But I legitimized that sector for you. I helped carve out that thesis for you. I helped, I helped create that narrative for you. And now you're going to profit off of it. So who's the real expert here? Is it is it A16Z and Sequoia or was it us? Right. And that's when it comes back to like ego. Don't get lost in the ego. Um, don't don't expect to like always get um, credit for for what what you knew ahead of time before others and to like approach things with a certain level of um, open mindedness. But also, yeah, again, without ego. I really want to want to ask about the the potential thesis or you know the overarching narrative for for this new cycle that might be Balaji's network states how does that smell to you i heard a funny joke earlier today on twitter i don't say it and it was like it was like a uh, the guy a guy that's never hosted a dinner party oh i'm going to create a network state which is a great which is a great example like i've read his book god 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 bless balaji cuz he tried to be a mentor for me early on when he had um his company 21 and brought me into his office back in like 2015, 2016. He sent me a DM on Twitter. He's like, Steven, you're smart. You're really smart. Like, I want to meet you. Come into my office. And I was like, all right, all right. Random VC guy who I don't really know anything about. I'll come into your office. And you know, I went to his office and like chatted with him and, you know, he gave me a 21 Bitcoin computer. And I was like, so gracious. Thank you so much. And so like now as someone who's been like writing about governance and coordination and, you know, the decentralized like communities and how all these ecosystems actually work. When I went to go to the network state, I was like, this is cute. This is somebody that's trying to keep up with people who are much younger than him in the industry and like trying to like retain relevance. And he made a whole bunch of money, ended up as CTO of Coinbase, jumped out of there with his golden parachute or for however way in which he like got a decent severance exit package. However it is, he left Coinbase. And now he's like, I'm a rich man that's like 38, 39. I don't, maybe 40, 42 now? I think he's in his early 40s. From, from, from as far as I know, he doesn't have any kids. So his book reads like somebody that has too much time and doesn't actually understand like, uh, like a family unit and, uh, and actually what it means to like build real community because he's only ever been important online. He's only ever been important as like retweets. I don't ever see him at a crypto conference like contributing in the trenches, giving workshops, teaching, educating developers hanging out at parties afterwards, smoking a blunt, talking about the future of the, the engagement and the governance. No, he's just, he's, just, he's just there in his free time, reading reading blog posts, regurgitating and spitting it out and like trying to pretend that it's not plagiarism. So he's another example of, he's another example of a person who's on my karmic uh, shit list and, uh, and, and who, who will eventually get what he is owed um, for his like level of like perceived arrogance. And again, I say these I say these things in confidence, and, and because like you know, and I always careful. I like, am I speaking about myself? You know, I'm always very careful to like to maintain that level of self awareness. I'm just like, no, 
because like, my heart is always, always in a good place. And I'm always trying to be as intellectually uh, open as possible uh, and accepting that I could be wrong. And I think, the, I think because I've always accepted that I could be wrong and I would love to be wrong, like, like life gives me the opportunity to actually see what's true. And, uh, and, and actually, I think that these grandfathers of like the early like kind of Bitcoin community and, you know, kind of like really built their notoriety and their fan base around that. Those are the ones that kind of give me the, the largest perceived like red flags because they've got the most to lose and they constantly want to like retain attention. And again, it goes back to me. I don't care if one day people don't like me. Oh, well, I, I, I did what I needed to do. I, I did everything in my heart to like create something that was real and to educate people in the way that I knew how, um, you know, and, 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 and always give credit backwards too. And, and, uh, you know, I also had an experience where like I sent a, I sent Bellagia deck, um, for an early company we invested in called Scent Network that I was advising at the time, which was like decentralized micropayment social network. And he literally, after I sent him that deck, like a month just later announced, Oh, earn.com. We're going to start paying you like in crypto for all this sort of stuff. We're going to do like these sort of social payment, micropayment stuff. It never, it never came to fruition, but that was just enough hype for Coinbase to buy out earn. For way way more money than it was deserved, and I sent him a DM on Twitter shortly after that, and I was like, "Damn, Balaji, you just gonna take our shit like that?" And I think I'm, and, I, and like my response is like, "I'm not gonna forget this." Five six years later, I, I haven't forgot it, and like, and and I firmly believe karma always finds its way back to the soul, unless you repent, and you repent well. And you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual person, like I, I I'm a man of God. I love Jesus. And so, you know, I would never, I would never want to do something that would like make my father upset at me. And I don't think, I don't think certain people in, in the crypto space hold themselves to that level of accountability because someone like Balaji with his beliefs in transhumanism, he's someone that wants to be God. So he's not somebody that has like the real humility to accept that when he's wrong. So he's going to do his hardest to play God until God humbles him and puts him back where he belongs, back on the ground. Well, if you're, That's if you're uh, that was a hot <laughs> ass take. Balazi, I doubt you're going to hear this podcast, but if you do, you need to start rolling up your sleeves and smoking more blunts, getting in the trenches, my friend. He's like, like, hey, man. <laughs> getting in the trenches. Um, I don't think that you hit exactly where Jesse was hoping you hit, but I, we appreciate that. No, no, that. That, I, I, was, I was okay with wherever that question would have gone. And actually, <laughs> I, think you, I think you did answer my question which is, you know, how does it smell like? And and he definitely, like, it doesn't smell good to Steven. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when I smell shit, I ain't got no problem looking on the bottom of my shoes and make sure it's not me first. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, so how do you, uh, it feels like in the world of a VC, uh, it feels like the cards are stacked against you and how they, I guess they typically run. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. still manage to um, uh, swim so well, right? Like what I mean by that is, um, you know, obviously money is pouring into these other funds and they have access to resources that are better. And maybe their opinion is heard more because the Twitter sphere is like the Twitter sphere. Twitter is Twitter. But how do you manage to, well, I guess, how have you defined, uh-oh. We got internet problems. All right. I think I got it now. So in the VC world, the world that you're in, uh, you've already said the success. The bigger success is going small and growing big and not just having tons and tons of money thrown at you 
with all of the expectations that that money involves. Um, you're starting, you've started small and you've grown and you've grown and you're going to continuously grow um, at a very manageable and sustainable pace. My question is, since you don't have as much of like a, a visible imprint as, you know, your A16Z uh, and uh, even you were just talking about Balaji, like their word travels hard and fast from the crypto sphere, the Twitter sphere. How are you getting across to the clients that you have that like, yeah. I'm your guy? And before that, how are you defining the clients that you work with? Yeah, well, for clients, for me, because um, we're we're a crypto fund, so we you know we do it when and when we say crypto fund, you know, you can say you have a hedge fund or you can say you have a VC fund because those are these are hybrid structure vehicles that allow for you to keep like liquid commodities on a balance sheet, but also enable you to like have like side what are called like side pocket early stage investments in assets or um, different like securities that ultimately are going to convert into commodities and tokens or serve as like kind of like a core infrastructure for um, the greater ecosystem. And I think like, you know, what we were really good at early on was what we might have lacked in starting AUM capital, we made up for with much greater social capital, right? And so for us, it was like to getting a seat at the table was, was it was our reputation was everything. And I would say the reputation of a momentum but because momentum is just like just been basically just like three dudes and like our two advisors like this whole time, it's mostly just been like me and like my presence. And then, of course, like Matthew Pruitt, who's like our other research partner, who's the president of Radical Exchange. Um, and so, like, you know, it, it, Matthew was a you know, he's a brown educated like lawyer who's a plaintiff side attorney in New York turned like, you know, an amateur software developer now like, you know, crypto governance expert, you know, implementation person. And they've been really killing that at Radical Exchange. My other partner, Kyle, he was a civil engineer. Uh, now he's just a huge like software like development nerd. He's like falling in love with that space. And you know myself, I like to consider like myself a intermediate of many things, not a jack of all trades, because I wouldn't be doing any meaning justice for all the hard work and hyper obsession I put into things. So it's just like when we're when you're getting in a, you know, an investment for us, we're not we're probably not gonna we're definitely not gonna be leading like your investment round of like you know you're oh you're raising like a four or five million dollar round we're gonna put in two and a half million dollar like a sixteen z the reason they put in so much capital is because that's all they got you know what I mean they 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 can give you the money but many other these different funds and companies when you when you go to these entrepreneurs they say well, what did this unless you were like the um, the golden child investment right which is like few and far in between. You usually get that check and you never they never hear from you again until they need like data and information from you each year for like their taxes and their audit. Otherwise, like you're not going to really get much assistance. They might hire on a slew of crypto specific analysts that might be able to give you like insights into like, you know, kind of like how you could perceive your business. But that's no different than hiring like a management consultant from, you know, like uh, from some of these other companies and like bringing them on to like help you like solve a solution. Like so it's just like what is a value that these people are really presenting? What I can't teach you from a business or a technical strategy perspective, I can definitely introduce you to somebody that is an expert or is adjacent to an expert. And because, you know, we, it, crypto was a lot of like younger folks, early, mid 20s, early 30s. Right. If you can kind of like speak that language and you know, I can sit down and have a coffee with you, have a beer with you, smoke a joint with you. And you're like, you know what? You know, I like Steven. I like, you know, I, I like, I like those, I like those momentum guys. Like they're real. They're, they're being honest with me. Like they, they, maybe they told me my project was shit, but they had a good reason why they said that. Maybe they said like our project is really legitimate and it's really going to pop off. And like, I never really saw it in that perspective. And so, you know, like, you know, what we bring in from a minority check perspective 
is much greater in the sense that you know you, you got me you got my soul you got you got me and any any connection that i i have so you know i'm going to do my best because my social capital I, is what i have to make up for and like in a lack of aum would one day i would, like in one day in the near future would i like us for us to have like a you know a nine like nine digit like aum raking in money left and right sure but i want to i want to earn that you know, like I want I wanted to be there from the very beginning with like these projects and to like help them like get to like that level of growth. And and, you know, I though I haven't like uh, from a fun perspective, because I can you know, I make I make I have my own personal, you know, like wealth. And then I've got the money that's, you know, inside the actual fund itself. Um, so, you know, and, and, and in some ways, like, you know, I, I'm like maintaining my fiduciary duty, but I'll be dual exposed because I'll come I'll come on very early as like an advisor. So I'll come on, I'll provide you some, you know, general advisory, you know, get you some assistance, help you get, help you get your marketing bootstrap, help you get your messaging, like, correct, uh, make, making sure that, you know, you're talking about the technology and what you're building and your architecting is, 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 is appropriate, that you're speaking to the right technical experts to, like, get you to that, that point where you are confident in what you're building as you iterate, right? Because, like, these startups, like, many people start over from, from zero, from scratch, and you've got to come into this, like, knowing that. So, like, I'll be there with you, and then once... You've built confidence in me, right? And uh, you know you've, you've you've shown that you're like actually trying to like bring something real to fruition. Then I'll come along with like our LPs money with our fund, you know, and I'll put that in. The only thing invested for me in that point is just like my sweat equity time and my love for what it is you're doing. Then I'll that. put then I'll put other people's money at risk. The crucible. And, yeah, yeah, you got you got you got to make it through like and and there's been at least two occasions where I'm glad I did it that way. Because if it went the other way around where I gave a check because I am a smaller fund, it would have been money that I would have just lost or not lost, but the pathway to getting a return on that liquidity would have been so long. It would have made, made better sense to just put that into like Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Like there's so many different investments and investors out there that probably would have been better off just putting their money into Ethereum and just forgetting that it fucking existed. And they probably would have, they probably would still exist. Um, so I've got to keep that in mind, too. Um, that like not everything is going to be like a ridiculous ten thousand x like return, da, 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 da. especially now that we have all this regulation in the space now too, right? And this sort of like regulatory, like mm -hmm, regulatory oversight. Um, when when in actuality, they're more so like regulating post mortem. Unfortunately, like the SEC, it's just like again, like I I can't invest. It's all about risk management, and and I, and I don't want to invest. And because I come from a frugal background, I am not going to put anyone else's money into something until I would put my own money in it. And because I have my own money in the fund now, uh, as you know, and it has been since inception, and that you know, AUM has grown. Like now, now it's going to affect me even more if I put this risk in you. So I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I definitely like I have to put everybody through that crucible. Uh, and if I don't, and if I don't, then, you know, I can end up with like a flat investment or just like losing out on, on losing out on, you know, an easy return, having just put that money into crypto. And then I've got to explain to an LP why our returns aren't as like great as everybody else. Thankfully, I've not had to be in that position ever. You know, I had a really incredible, incredible 2020, uh, really incredible 2021. I think, I think it was in like our, our rate, our, our return for 2020 was like 326%. And then in 2021, it was like 247%. And so it's just like, those are egregious numbers when you think about, you know, like the, the overall like risk of like of crypto. Um, but also at the same time, like you could have gotten much better returns if you would have stuck that money into one of these other illiquid bullshit ass like tokens or whatever that have just come and flopped. 
but you're investing your money into into me and you're also investing money like long term into the industry so i'm trying to put it in the right spaces and that's incredibly yeah and that's that's incredibly important to me so it's just like yeah i i put my where my investor like heart on my sleeve and and i think that like that speaks to that as an entrepreneur myself too that kind of speaks to entrepreneurial spirit of other people and they know i'm not just like some guy in a you know in a suit that just like needs to get something for the quarter of the report to look good to like all their banking institutional investors. Hmm. Okay. I like it. I think you, who, um, who's your client? How do you define your client? Who do you work with? Yeah. So we have, you know, so we, we only work with qualified clients. Um, so we have this 506 C exemption, if you're aware of what, of what that means. So, you know, we're, you know, we're regulated, regulated by the CFTC out of Florida. And so we took in an initial pool of investors back in 2018, uh, started the fundraising in March of 2018 and, and finished it and, and launched everything on April 1st, like almost a month later. So I'd already had like a bunch of really awesome early investors like that were on my side. Um, Jihan Wu at Bitmain uh, has been like our anchor since the very beginning. I literally sat down with him and got coffee here in San Francisco. And he's like, you're smart. How much money do you want? And I was like, right, this much. And he's like, cool. Awesome. You know anyone else smart here in the Bay Area? And I was like, yeah, but they're over in Oakland. He's like, cool. Our driver will take us over to Oakland. So I get in the car with, you know, Jihan Wu feels like mafia boss style. He's like sitting there meditating in the back seat. And I'm just like, like we're going over to Oakland and meeting up with friends. And he's like, cool. And so it was like a, it was like a, a network exchange of you have this legitimacy here in the U.S. I need access to these people, but I also like, you know, want, want to have access to the types of deal flow that you have. So we don't, so we don't have any clients, so to speak. Our clients are just our limited partners or like our investors. So, so our yeah. fund in a way is basically like a startup, right? So it's like, I'm building like my own startup. But it's also sort of this sort of for-profit think tank because we make our money based on like our level of perceived intellectual output in the industry and what we can actually provide you. Uh, and so, yeah, so like that's 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 my main job is basically playing the role of this like pseudo academic with the access to a coin purse. Whereas before, if you're a normal academic, you've got to like come up with something that you think is worthwhile, think worth studying and researching and then apply for a grant. But it's but now it's just like I can find those people through like my self-learning and then give them money. And it's great because I have some I have an expectation of a return. So it's almost an even better model. Um, and so I like to see other people like copy that. And many people have some some with a great success and some with none at all. But that's kind of just like the name of the game. And again, very conservative, sort of very small, still incredibly small in comparison to like everyone else. But that's because the money wasn't always the thing for me. I want to pay my bills. Yeah, I want to be able to afford to live in San Francisco, right? Yeah, I want to be able to like go around all these different conferences and stuff like that and be able to like, you know, expense those things like accordingly and you know, be a member of the community in real time always. But from 2020 to 2021, I went to like one no, it's 2020 to 2023 now. I've been to one conference, two. Went to Consensus to speak, went to East Denver to speak, and that was it. It's just been my ass sitting at home talking with my uh, my partners and like our connections and our portfolio companies. And I, I've just had like my, my nose in the dirt, just like learning and staying on top of things. For every hundred crypto projects, there's probably only about five that are worth investing in. And so there's way more um, projects that are going to lose you money than are actually going to make you anything at all. 
And so like, yeah, again, like I'm just incredibly careful on, on where I invest my time and my attention because ultimately that's the best thing that I have to give uh, these individuals. Now, if somebody came along now, cause we have this very like rolling open structure. And so, so, so if someone came along and they're like, Steve, I like you. you've been around here for like five, six years going on now. Like I just, I want a way to invest in like, you know, mid to like long-term vehicle in the space. Uh, would you take like 10, $20 million from us like right now? I would actually think about it. I would, mm, do I want to have that type of responsibility? Because I still want to have fun, right? And it's for, for me, it's not about the dollars. So it, it depends on the, the type of person that like comes along. And maybe I will do some like fundraising. Maybe maybe this year would be a good year for that. But like fundraising, I don't know if you've ever done it. It sucks. It's not fun, especially if you're a brown person. Fundraising is not fun. There's a lot of code. There's a lot of there's a lot of code switching. I don't like wearing suits. You know what? This is what you get. Okay. If you say, Steven, I, I, I want to invest in momentum. Come have a chat with us. This, this is it. This, this person does not change. Okay. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to wear too many masks for too long. And I realized that being me and, and really loving and embodying me, that was my superpower. So I continue to do that. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, more and more cycles will go by like over the years, but Hey, you know, life is what it is. And I'm just here to, you know, be the be the best pseudo investor, developer, project manager, marketer, podcaster, writer, researcher I could be. And there is no word for that. And uh, and, and I love that. And, and it also allows me to like speak proudly to my family about what I do. You know, I've, I've had conversations with my dad before because you know he's not a college educated man. You know, he comes from a very simple farming background. So my dad was like, you know, I'm so proud of you, son, and what you're doing and what you're building. But I've gotten phone calls from him, like, especially during bull runs and stuff where I'm like talking to him, I'm like, dad, I'm like making money hand over fist. And he's like, son, what you're doing is not, it's not illegal, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, no, dad. It's, a, it's an actual functioning business. I get audited. I pay my taxes. It's, it's, it's all real. He's like, okay, okay. You would tell me, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, dad. Like, no, it's like, it's real. Like, they got, they got articles written about me on the internet. Like, this, this, is, this is legitimate. And so... <laughs> And so, yeah, so it, it, it feels good. And, you know, like I've had all these cool accolades. I've been a part of like all these cool companies and had, you know, companies acquired and, you know, made money myself. But, you know, just past November, I was on um, Crypto Decoded, which was like a documentary that PBS put out. Uh, and they, you know, they, they handpicked like 12 or 13 different people to bring onto the show as like experts in the industry that were not just like normal business, ICO you know, decentralize the money, anarchist, libertarian types, and just people that they're just going to actually talk about the real use cases. And so then that aired on PBS, like sometime in like mid, mid-November. And my mom was like, you've done all this cool stuff, but now that you've been on PBS, now you're legit. Like my mom was like, all the cool shit you did didn't matter until I was on PBS. <laughs> and, then she, and then she was like, you're on, you're on, you're on like public access television now. So, 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 you, so it must, it must be legit. And I was like, yes, mom, it was legit all along. Uh, so I've, I've come a long way from my dad yelling at me across the living room, telling me to like stop smacking the keyboard so fast. And I'm like, Dad, that's what typing sounds like. And, and he's like, and, and like this was like back in the late '90s. And so you know, they still don't understand what the hell I do, and that's okay. Um, and, you know, it, it, as long as it as long as it, it satisfies me and it makes me feel joyful and it makes me feel legitimate, that's what matters. So I, have, I try and stay my way away from the bad actors, but sometimes I get a little bit of close. A little bit closer to them than I should, just to get an idea of what's going on through their heads and what type of risk is out there. But yeah, ultimately, I'm just like a a loving, good person that's just like trying to continue to be mostly liked. 
And if if by doing that you come across you, I might I might rub you in the wrong way. Mm, that's probably a good sign that you got some demons that you need to work out that eventually will be exercised by the public market. So time will time always tells the truth. Mm. Just, I want to witness one of those interactions where you rub against somebody who's got demons. <laughs> <laughs> they're more they're more abundant than you think. <laughs> Interesting. You got anything, Jess? No, I think I think that was good. 